and went out bowling, we had dinner, we had conventions, we had everything, Vespers, the whole lot, you know, and he knew that girl since they were little, so they always grown up together, and he's like, he's up to me one day in the car, and he's like, bro, I'm so in love with her, I'm like, okay, good on you, man, get driving, <laughs> alright, <laughs> good on you, you know, and then came the Victorian Conference Big Camp. So I decided to take all the guys, and at that point, there was around 28, 30 of us in our youth group. So I decided, let's all go to the big camp, and around 20 of us rocked up. Alright, so we pitched our tents, and we're like to Joshua, you're going to ask her out at big camp. You've got a whole week, and you're going to do it. And he's like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And all the boys are cheering, you're going to do it, man, you are going to do it, you got this. The first day went past, nothing. The second day went past, nothing. Joshua, are you going to do it? Yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'm just, I'm just like, yeah, but I will do it. Okay. Third day went past, he didn't do it. Fourth day, still hadn't done it. The last night, we're like, Joshua, practically had the best part of five days to ask her out and tell her and you haven't done it and he's like and we're like do you actually love her he's like i love her i love her and he would sacrifice everything and we saw his struggle through that year all that he did for this girl and he came to this point and because earlier that on that day for dinner what we usually what we did like when we had camps you see, most of us were all boys, so there was probably around 13, 15 boys and only like five or six girls. But the problem was, believe it or not, the girls couldn't cook. All right? So the guys would cook every single meal. Yeah, we would cook. We gave the girls one task, I remember, on the Sunday night, and we're like, here's, this, here's a pasta, here's a sauce, please cook it, we're going to go to, to the service. They're like, all right, we'll do it. We came back, it was all burnt. Like, never again. Right? Never again we're cooking. So what we did is like, we went out that night and we had Maccas. You know, so we came late and we're just sitting in the car. And we're like, Joshua, you had five days to go and ask her out and you still haven't. I mean, like, what's going on? What's wrong? And we're all in the car. It's 1 a.m. And all of a sudden, something just clicked. And he's like to my mate, give me your phone. And my mate's like, what? Give me your phone. Snatched the phone. This, the next thing we see is Joshua running down camp. Now, in the Victorian camp, it's in the middle of nowhere. So there's no lights at night. So it's all dark. So he took the phone to use as a torch. Now her camp, her tent was probably 500 meters down south where we were. He sprinted all that way at 1 a.m. to go to her tent. To make things worse, she wasn't camping with her parents. Her parents were there. She was camping with her, with, um, with her uncle. He goes to her tent in one in the morning and starts calling out her name. Cindy, come out. Cindy, come out. I'm like, oh no, I'm in so much trouble. You know? I'm like, he's my responsibility. You know? I'm like, oh no. And the uncle comes out and says, like, what do you want? It's like, oh, um, I need to talk to Sydney. <laughs> All right. One in the morning, Sydney comes out, and here Romeo decides to confess his love, and one in the morning, we're just half asleep. <laughs> you know, half dead and everything, half asleep. 
And he starts pouring out his heart. He's like, I love you because you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. And we're like, oh no. And he's like, would you go out with me? And it's just like, I'll give you an answer tomorrow morning. Alright? And he walks back to camp. We're like, hey, so how did he go? He's like, I'm going to get an answer tomorrow morning. We're all trying to sleep that night. And he's up all night, high on adrenaline, on his laptop watching movies. We're like, Joshua, go to bed. He's like, I'm too excited for tomorrow. Yeah, I'm too excited for tomorrow. Sometimes the things you do for love, you know, you sacrifice things just because you love someone. And in this verse, in 1 John 4, 7, 8, we see God. God is love. Now, the climax of his love, we see it at the cross. Alright? So, if we turn our Bibles, and if we go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, Verse 45. It says, 27:45. Now from the sixth hour unto the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the climax, the pinnacle point of the plan for redemption. Here at the cross, we have Jesus Christ. He nailed to the cross. About today, about to die, sorry. Because of what? Because of love. But it's not only Jesus at the cross. What we're about to discover is that we have Jesus on the cross. But it's not only Him that's suffering but also the Father and the Holy Spirit. You see, the oneness of the Godhead is fully revealed. The nature of the Godhead is fully revealed at this moment on the cross when Jesus is bearing all the sins of humanity. It's an ultimate sacrifice. Here we see the nature of the Godhead, which is love. You know, if we, sometimes we put this thing and we call God, oh, his attribute is love. But the Bible clearly states that God is love. You know, God is love. <coughs> Stop. And here at the cross, this is what we see. The pinnacle moment on the plan of redemption, we see the cross. But we see the role of the Father, first and foremost. And Jesus offers up prayers to the Father. You see, the relationship that exists between the Son and the Father is always there. And Jesus does everything in the presence of the Father and according to the will of the Father. And while he's on the cross, he asks for forgiveness. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. You see, everything that Jesus did in his ministry, he did on earth, was to please the Father. 
Then there was a cry of anguish, which I spread. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shavatani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At this moment, the Godhead is experiencing something they've never experienced before, and that is complete separation. You know, the Father and the Spirit and the, and, and the Son, for the first time in their existence, <coughs> separated. And we see at the cross, the Son crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, sometimes we ourselves feel that God is not near. You know, sin has absolutely corrupted our relationship with God and it has separated us from God. And this is what Jesus is feeling at this very moment. And he's crying to God, you know, because he doesn't feel that closeness anymore because he's bearing all the sins of humanity. And then there's one more prayer, and it's a prayer of consecration. It's a prayer of completeness. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So he offers three prayers all to the will of the Father. You see at the cross, we've got the Son, we've got the Father, and we've got the Holy Spirit. And we're at the climax of a plan of redemption at this very moment. The role of the Father was to offer an offering, to give something to redeem humanity. You see, at this moment on the cross, the Father is acting like a priest. He's acting like Abraham did with his son. Do you remember the story of Abraham? When he's about to sacrifice his son? You see, there's a lesson in that. Because God wanted Abraham to know what it was going to feel like for him giving up his own son. And it's what the Father is feeling. He's offering, he's, off, he's offering his only son, his begotten son. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the role of Father is giving the Son. And giving the offering, giving his ultimate sacrifice. The role of the Father on the cross. And it's the role of substitution as well. Romans 8.32 states clear that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, we are the ones who should have died because we are the ones in sin. We are the guilty ones but he substituted us and put his son Jesus instead. You see, how this works, and I'll kind of illustrate it, I, there was this missionary who went out in the Amazon around Brazil. Now, in, this, in Brazil, there's a lot of tribes that haven't been discovered or they haven't seen civilization just yet. This missionary found this tribe, quite a big tribe in Brazil, in, in, um, around the Amazon. Now, his purpose was to give him the gospel message. Now, he was there for a couple of months. But what started happening in this village, in this tribe, was things started going missing. You know? Like, just things disappeared overnight. So they started to wonder, well, is there someone coming and stealing all our stuff in the middle of the night? Yeah? And they were getting worried because things were just beginning to go missing, you know, jewelry and all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't there anymore. 
So all the tribe leaders decided to have a meeting, all right, and decided to put a trap because they were going to catch whoever was stealing from all the tribe. So that night, they stayed up late, they stayed up all night, and they saw a figure of a person going around the tribe, stealing from all the different tents or huts, or whatever you want to call them. When they caught the person, to the shock, it was the sheep's mother. He was stealing all the things. Now, in this, in in the con in, in the context of the tribe, they have laws that they have to follow, and it's punishment if you break those laws. Now, the punishment that had been set <coughs> was that she had to get whipped thirty-five times. That was her punishment for stealing. This being the sheep's mother, right? This being the leader's mother. And all the other elders are like, are you sure you want to do this? This is your mother. And it's like, the law is the law. Justice has to be done. They gather all around. All the tribe is there. All the village getting ready to whip the leader of the sheep's mother. They lay it down and the guy gives her the first whip. You know, and she cries out in a loud voice. You know? But you know what happens next? The sheep decides, no, this is enough. Takes his rope off, lays over his mother, and goes to the man. Start whipping. Two, three, four, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five. He took the penalty. For his mother. He took the penalty that his mother deserved. Exactly what the father did for us. He gave his only son to cover our guilt and he took the punishment for every single one of us. He offered his son as a sacrifice, as a substitution on our behalf. And he acts like a priest. At the cross, he's acting like a priest. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, being sanctified. You see, at this moment of the cross, when Jesus is there, crying in anguish, the Father is playing the role of the high priest, offering that ultimate sacrifice for humanity. From that time went into his enemies and made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. You know, we have the role of the Father at the cross. But the ultimate sacrifice was by the second being of our Godhead. And that is Jesus Christ. You know, in his anguish, he felt a separation from the divine Godhead that have always coexisted together. And we see here in Isaiah 53, 12, and we'll just read the last three sentences. It says, And he bore the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressions. He was ready to prophesy what Jesus was going to do on that cross. 
Through Jesus, we find reconciliation. You see, the Father, the relationship He wanted to have with us, He offered His Son so we could reconcile with the Father again. And the Bible clearly states this, that, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see, the cross is not just the death of Jesus Christ. But it's the start of reconciliation between humanity and divinity. Again, we see the role of the Father as the high priest, as the one that reconciles you and me, the one that puts the substitute, the sacrifice. That's the role of the Father on that cross. Whom God set forth as a proviation by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. You see, when God, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the anguish in himself, knowing that he's bearing all the sins of every single person at that moment. That is the anguish that not only Jesus is going, but the full divine Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, we see the role of the Father, but the main role was Jesus Christ. You know, the role of Jesus Christ in our salvation, in our redemption, was His obedience. You know, He always obeyed the Father. He always did the will of the Father. You know, sometimes us as little kids, well, when we were little kids, we don't obey our parents. Sometimes we don't listen to our parents. You know, and we, there's always consequences if we don't listen to our parents. I remember one time I was taking a trip up to Queensland from Melbourne, and Axel mentioned um, Pastor Levitis. <coughs> and Pastor Levitis is a music teacher. Yeah? And he used to have this massive choir down back in Melbourne. It was a men's choir. Now they used to travel all around Australia singing. And I used to tag along once in a while. You know? So they would take two, three bands full of grown men going up to Queensland. And you remember those cars back in the day? I don't think the newer cars have them these days, but they had that thing that that I don't even know what it's called, the fire thing where you can light your cigarette. You know? Yeah, the lighter thing, you know? You just take it out of like under the radio, yeah? And just like your cigarette. So my dad's van had one of those. My dad's like, don't play with that. I was fascinated by the thing. You know, stop playing with that. When he wasn't looking, I grabbed it. And it was so bright orange. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. What did I do? <laughs> now I know why he told me not to do that. You know, the rest of the trip was horrible. I had a burnt farm. I couldn't do anything. The whole trip, I had my phone outside the window. It was the only way I could stop crying. I was literally crying. I was only eight or something. Or nine. He's like, I told you so. I told you not to do that. But you know, disobedient David, when he wasn't looking, decides to put his finger on the thing. You know? And, but we see Jesus here. And he was always in obedience. He was obedient to the commission the Father had, give, had given him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the Father commissioned Jesus for a specific purpose. 
and their purpose was for him to take away the sin of the world. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was so obedient in the Father, he was actually willing to die. In his commission, he was willing to die. That's what being in Jesus was to the Father. But as we look before the, the Father played the role of the priest, we also see Jesus playing the role of the priest. We see him, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. See, after he offered himself, he was worthy to sit at the right hand of God. He bore all the weight and all the wrath. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made a life together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The role of Jesus specifically to die for you and me to redeem us to reconcile us it was the role of the father to offer him it was the role of Jesus to do the work and when we see this pinnacle moment at the cross we see the role of the father we see the role of Jesus reconciling humanity back to God Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. <coughs> we see the Father, we see the Son. We see this pinnacle moment in Earth's history. You know, Revelation 12, verse 10 talks about the joy in heaven. When they sing hallelujah, salvation has come. That moment is Jesus dying on the cross. Because salvation just wasn't for us. If not, it was salvation from sin, from destruction, from the enemy, for all of the universe. You know? And the full oneness of the Godhead was working at the very moment to redeem humanity. So we have the role of the Father, we have the role of Jesus. And the most obscure role is the role of the Holy Spirit. What was the Holy Spirit doing? You know, when we read Spirit of Prophecy, we get a glimpse that at that moment at the cross, when Jesus is crying, God, why have you forsaken me? It's his physical pain, his emotional pain of being separated by the Father, but we also consider the pain of the Father. You know, when you lose a loved one, you feel pain. You know? You feel pain when you lose a loved one. Does the loved one who's died, does he feel pain? No, because he's dead. <coughs> you see, the ones that we're alive, we feel the pain. And that is the pain that the Father was feeling. Knowing that he's begotten his son. Knowing that God himself was going to die. You know? At that very moment, we have the Holy Spirit as well. And the Bible testifies very clearly that the Holy Spirit was always with Jesus. Throughout all his ministry, the Holy Spirit was with Jesus everywhere. You know, guiding him in all things and in all ways. And this is evident from his birth. 
We'll see, and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning upon him. We constantly see the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ. But if the Spirit of whom you raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In Romans 8, we we'll get the picture, we we'll get the conception that the one who raised Jesus Christ was the Holy Spirit. You know, we've got to roll at the pinnacle moment of humanity's redemption. We've got the Father in anguish. We've got the Son in anguish. And we've got the Spirit who lives in Jesus Christ in anguish as well. We've got the oneness, the Godhead, the divine Godhead, suffering at that very moment for our redemption, for our salvation. There's also a, a common perception in Matthew 27, 52. When Jesus died, remember what happened? The temple veil was torn, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Raised by whom? By the Holy Spirit. <laughs> at that moment at the cross, we see all the Godhead functioning in the different roles, both for you and for me. You know, but yeah, it's an incredible scene. What, it, what makes it more incredible is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one, but all different at the same time. You know, all God, but all three different persons at the same time. All different roles in the redemption of humanity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit took on different roles to save you and to save me. The cross signifies this because of their profound unity of true oneness in nature, we can acknowledge that the Father and the Holy Spirit were also profoundly present and in solidarity with Christ atoning death. It is this deep and penetrating truth that the Apostle Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 5 18, where he says that I've reconciled you through Jesus Christ. The Spirit was in Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled through Jesus Christ, atoning sacrifice on the cross, because the Father allowed that to happen. He offered that sacrifice on the cross. We see the relationship between the Father and the Son. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, for He's in the, for he is in the Father, the Father bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He has seen me, has seen the Father. So also, how can you say, Show us the Father? You see, Jesus Christ on that cross was, in, was the visible image of the invisible God. He was the only one visible of the Godhead. 
by the world there at the same time, being humanity, reconciling humanity back to himself. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? This talks about Jesus' divinity. It talks about Jesus being God and one with the Father. We've got Father God, we've got Son God, and we've got the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly testifies in very different verses that the Spirit is life. He gives life. He is true. He's omnipresent. And He is all-knowing. You know, we've got three advocates. We've got three persons advocating for you and me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, working for our salvation, working for our reconciliation. You know, when a couple of years ago, I used to look at the um, doctrine of the Godhead and used to think, huh, that's awesome, but why, why does it matter? Until it kind of played out in my life a couple of years ago. You see, a couple of years ago, I was brought up Adventist all my life. I always assisted church. I was there physically, but my heart wasn't there. Every single time. It came to the point that I'm like, what is the point of church? You know, what is the point of all this? And I decided, I remember it was around October a couple of years ago, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stop going to church at the end of the year. Because for me, church was completely nothing. God was, I figured someone up in the air, and it really didn't do anything for me. I didn't get anything out of it. You know? And I'm like, and I decided in my head, and I said to myself, at the end of the year, that's it. The 31st, my last Sabbath at church, never coming again. And I was hanging around pretty terrible people at that time, you know? And my friends were not the best friends, now that I look at it. Yeah, the things we did, the things we got up to, wasn't any good at all. And I decided, no, I'd rather live their life than stay in church. And I already had planned everything in my head what I was gonna do. You know, I was gonna do X, Y, Z, you know? Now, my church, they, they elect the new officers around that time, around October, November, and December. And for some reason, someone decided to put my name in there, you know? And someone came up to me and they're like, David, you've been, elect you've been elected as elder of the church. And I'm like, yeah, not happening. Yeah, not happening. And I was in my head, are you serious? <clears throat> my head, my heart, never been at church and wanted me to be an elder of the church? I thought it was a joke. I'm like, I'm like this cannot be happening. Alright? I've always had a soft spot for the church. Yeah, but my head, my heart wasn't in it at all. You know? And, and they're like to me, do you accept the, um, the office job? And I'm like, yeah, nah, I don't know, let me think about it. Now, I delayed the whole process for a month because I needed an answer and I could not give them an answer. 
and I was weighing up my pros and my cons, and I'm like, if I'm elder, I can't do this. You know, but if I am, I can do this. You know? And I was like, I hadn't prayed for about three years at that time. I hadn't prayed for three years. <coughs> and I'm like, I'm going to pray about this. And I decided to kneel down, I remember that night, I kneeled down to God, I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Alright? I was going to take my religious vacation, and you want me to be an elder? Are you serious? You see? And the more I prayed, the more I felt that I needed to say yes. You know, that I needed to say yes. And it came to the, last, to the second last week of December, and they needed the answer. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. A couple of months later, one of the elders comes up to me, and he's like, you know, the Holy Spirit impressed me in my heart to put your name. And I'm like, wow. Now that I look at it, look at it from the past, I see the work of God of the Son and the Holy Spirit at the moment. Because if the Holy Spirit wouldn't have imparted that feeling on that gentleman that moment, who knows where I would be at this very moment. You know, and I saw the working of the Holy Spirit in my life that reignited that flame that said, go and do ministry. You know, because I've been running away from ministry for years. You know, running away. If I wasn't chosen elder that year, I'm 100% sure I would not be here right now. I'll be somewhere else. And that was possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the life of those around me made possible by Jesus Christ. And his death on the cross made possible because the Father offered Jesus Christ on that cross, on that day of Calvary. All because of love. You know, the Trinity shows us love. You see, that sun, that Monday morning, we all woke up, Joshua was still playing on his laptop. And we're like, dude, you haven't slept anything? He's like, no, I'm too excited. You know, I'm too excited. You know, this guy, I admire Joshua because he had sacrificed a lot. You know, he, he had sacrificed the best part of more than a year just to get this girl. And then we saw her around lunchtime. We saw her walking towards that tent and all the boys like, oh, here we go. And we hid behind the car trying to get into <laughs> what was going on and everything. But Joshua decided to take her somewhere else so we kind of followed, you know. And we were like, let's hope she says yes. You know. And we started telling Cindy, we're like, you know what he's done for you? He's actually gone broke for you. You know, he did, he went broke. He wasn't even, he wasn't even working. I don't know where he got the money. Well, he borrowed from his cousin, he borrowed from everybody. He had no money at all. But he would buy her flowers, he would buy her this, he would take her out and everything, you know. All because, according to him, he was in love and he was willing to sacrifice all of that for her. Yeah? She said no. <laughs> you know? She said no, and we're like, it's all right, Joshua. We'll be another one. It's all right. You know, sometimes we can be that girl. Jesus sacrificed everything for us. 
But sometimes we don't want to accept the calling. We don't want to accept Jesus Christ into our life. And today I invite all of you that we accept the oneness of the Godhead into our lives. That we accept the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Because they put everything on the line at Calvary when Jesus cries out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you been saving me? That was, and that was done for you and for me to reconcile us back to God. Have a happy Sabbath and God bless.